Hey everybody, welcome to Row Hunting Resources Podcast. All right, well, here we are sitting uh, again on another Sunday night. This one's a little bit later than usual. It's about 11 o'clock at night as I'm kicking this one off. <laughs> Why not? Uh, but no, I've been sitting here doing a couple things elk-related. Um, I spent the bulk of the day wrapping up and, and uh, wrapping up all my deer habitat stuff that I wanted to do, at least... At least the stuff that I wanted to get done in the spring slash early summer of 2022. Now, don't get me wrong. I've got an I've got like entire properties I haven't even done a single thing with. I, I've got food plots on them that are somewhat stable, um, but I haven't I haven't done anything with them because. Uh, if you followed me for a while, you know there's a couple different places where I'm doing my deer habitat work. I work with a number of different landowners out here in Northwest Kansas. Um, some of the property owners are managing their properties solely for wildlife habitat. And so we can do whatever the hell we want, wherever the hell we want it, because there's no agriculture, uh, the income from agriculture or grazing is a minor consideration on the landscape as a whole because the the general purpose of the properties that they these these landowners have is 100% for hunting and wildlife uh, production conservation type of deal. So we can work wherever the heck we want to work on those properties. However, there's a couple of our landowners that are one is a very large ag uh, family so their focus is all in on agriculture production so crop production so all those areas that are considered quote-unquote waste ground and you've heard me talk about that in previous discussions those areas where it's not cropland and especially in those areas that's not grazing land it's just areas that are just they're just they're just waste ground there there's just ground that they own that they really can't do anything with well guess what that ends up being some of the better uh, wildlife habitat in those areas and so some some of those waste ground areas are places where we've been able to go in and do our food plots or habitat improvements or whatever on another landowner however um their crop production is is what it is but they also focus heavy on their cattle and so some of their waste ground a lot of their waste ground is actually used for cattle grazing so now that puts a a different sort of caveat in the discussion with you know what can we do with with our um food plots and our habitat work because anything that we do is going to possibly be impacted by cattle grazing and so on uh, one of my landowners everything that we do is focused on increasing uh, this time of year their crop fields are going to be in some sort of row crop for money, you know, from for an economic reason. So there's no food plots going on there until they harvest their crops. They're done for the season. I can go in and drill something, you know, 
usually a late season, you know, fall, cool season crop after harvest, give the deer and the turkeys something to, to chew on uh, to enhance the area for the fall, winter, and early spring. But come early spring, they get ready for their crops. They're going to be they're going to herbicide everything, nuke everything, get it ready to go for the next round of summer crops. So that was stand, not. I mean, that aside, anything else that we want to do in some of that waste ground area is going to be impacted by cattle. So, <coughs> excuse me, um, man. <coughs> so, what we do on the areas that are going to be possibly be touched by cattle is a consideration on what deer and turkey need that can also then roll into what can be utilized by and benefit cattle grazing. How can we increase our range condition on the landscape in a manner that benefits both both cattle grazing, cattle production, the money gained from running cattle on the landscape, as well as what we can provide for deer and turkeys and everything else on the landscape. Well, that the those particular properties are the ones that I haven't even touched this year. Uh, given the drought, given the heat, given just all the all the things considered, um, we've got some really good stands of winter wheat in some places that the cattle can go and have fun with and do whatever they want with. Um, <coughs> but we also have some very large areas that we want to roll into. They're just big chunks of cheatgrass and hemp that we want to start to, to, to reclaim. Well, between fuel costs and herbicide costs and, and all the other costs and, and all the other challenges that this spring has brought to bear with equipment and everything else, <clears throat> it's just on hold. Just it's, just it's just on hold. I think what's going to end up happening, I'm going to wait till the cattle get in there and do their thing, and then I just think uh, me and the Swisher... Uh, Swisher mowers are going to go in there and have fun. We're just going to keep the the hemp and all the buffalo burr and all the other weeds and everything else. We're just going to mow the piss out of them. Keep them knocked back. I may touch them up with some herbicide. I don't know. The problem is, again, herbicide costs are stupid this year. Might just go in and just kind of just over this next two months, just kind of just touch them up and just keep the just keep the weeds at a size and level that's manageable to where when we roll into late August into September sometime it's easier for me just to roll in and just do something later you know what I mean um so with that being said everything that I really really needed to get done this spring <laughs> it's done. <laughs> it's done. It's done. Oh, sweet baby Jesus, it's done. I can't tell you. So last week I was not in a good place. I was like I stress and just just all the other just it just sucked, man. It just it just seems like it's just been ling Well, hell, what what's what's the what's the date today? That's the other thing too. I'm going to get to that here in a second. June 26th. It is June. It's June 26th. It's been June 26th all day. I have a very, very good friend whose birthday was today. And they are in bed. Dang. 
I'm sorry. You know who you are. I am. I am. Uh, I'm very sorry. I missed your birthday. I missed your birthday, and that is on me. Damn it. So it is June 26th. June 26th. Most of the time, I want to have everything that I'm trying to do done by June 1st, or at the very least within that first week or so of June for the the first week of June. So on the on the most optimistic side of the scale. I'm two weeks behind schedule. I'll tell you right now, for given this year, given the fact that I canceled all our turkey hunts and I had the rest, you know, April and May to 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 play with, I'm a month behind where I wanted to be. But geez, oh, Pete, oh, and here I am. I still haven't brought the. I still haven't brought the jar in. Just imagine a clinkety clink. How many is that now? It's got to be a couple bucks by this point. So there it is. The the the, the unfiltered Jizo Pete on the podcast. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm done. Hell, I I I even so I talked I talked about all the equipment issues. That and that's really why I. I'm so far behind schedule. Just the equipment. Just this year, for some reason, equipment has just been my nemesis. Even so, to increase my efficiency on the landscape, I went and bought. Not like I needed to spend any more money. Good Lord, it knows that I. I we've just been hemorrhaging money this year for this these these things. But I went and upgraded my spray rig. Spent about 900 bucks on a different spray rig things brand spanking new i've run less than five acres of herbis no let's say uh, six seven acres of herbicide through it okay so today that that was what today was about so I had two different projects that needed the last little bit of herbicide. One, I have friends who lease property in Nebraska. I do their food plot stuff up there. We've got uh, um, uh, several different food plots. Uh, let's just say we got three different food plots. There's a large one, there's a medium one, and there's a small one. <clears throat> All of those food plots are at a sta- different levels of progression for this particular this season. However, each one of them needs to be sprayed, touched up, stabilized for the re- for the least the next month or two. And then I have a five acre cornfield on one of our properties that the corn's coming in awesome. I'll get to that here in a second, maybe. the The corn's coming in awesome, but because I was delayed again because of equipment issues, I I sprayed it, knocked the weeds back, went in broadcast nitrogen fertilizer out there in preparation to get corn seed in the ground and then all of a sudden I was shut down for I don't know week 10 days maybe almost two weeks before I could get out there I think it was like 10 days before I could get out there well in that 10 days of being delayed we get a massive rainstorm that comes out there so it just kicks just basically dissolves all that nitrogen puts it in the soil it just the weeds just exploded. Now I was able to get out there, get the corn in the ground, 
We got another rain on it. It was awesome. Corn's coming in great, but the weeds just took off, just off. So it needs another. It needed a, uh, another round of spray. So that's what I was doing today. Because why? <coughs> Last week was brutally, stupidly hot. Um, but these past couple days, and I hope many of you that are listening also caught this break. Today and yesterday, like the highs were in the 70s, it was cloudy, calm. Well, yesterday was windy. Yesterday was windy. I couldn't do any. I couldn't do much yesterday. <coughs> but today was going to be perfect, absolutely perfect. Cloudy, highs in the upper 70s, calm. Oh, after after these properties received a bunch of rain. And that's the other thing that just makes me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a happy camper right now because since last week until now, all of the fields that I drilled, all of the stuff that I got in the ground just got a good, I mean, from everywhere from a half an inch of rain all the way to more than an inch of rain, we got a good drink. Now, at this point, Hey, it's it's out of my control. It's it's in the good Lord's hands. It's in Mother Nature's hands now. It is what it is. I I can't complain. I, all the seeds in the ground, <coughs> and it got a good drink. So we got good rain. It was hot, and then all of a sudden we get this cold snap. Cold, cooler temperatures, cloudy weather, cooler temperatures, good soil moisture. If you, if you could ever paint a picture of what conditions you want for your weeds to be in when you want to go spray them, um, anybody that, w- that took a botany class uh, or, that, or plant ecology or anything like that and, uh, probably remembers uh, the plants, the, you know, like you, you know how when you work out or it's hot or whatever you're doing, you know, the pores on your skin, that's where you sweat from, you know, your sweat pores, okay? When it's hot and humid, your pores open up and your your body is trying to off, just dissipate heat, blah, blah, blah. That's why you sweat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, plants don't have pores like we do per se, but they do have pores in their, called stomata. And basically it, it functions in a very similar way. They the, Those stomata that are like our pores on our skin open up and that's how they intake carbon dioxide that's how they off gas oxygen but that's how they transpire okay so if you remember transpiration plants transpire we respire respiration plants transpire transpiration okay that's how they do that they open up that those cells open up on their their leaf surface they open up and those stomata open up and they're just quote unquote breathing at a high just just at a high functioning rate when it's drought when it's really really hot or um well there's a very there's a variety of conditions but especially when it's hot and and dry 
those stomata, those pores, they close up because the otherwise the plant is going to lose too much moisture, too much water in that plant at a too rapid rate, and that's what calls, causes wilting, all right? So part of what causes wilting. So that they'll clam them babies up. Well, if you want herbicide to enter the system of that plant, man, you want those stomata just the, the stoma just wide open, just open, just open. And you want that, the engine of that plant just cranking. Ladies and gentlemen, today was the day. Like, I couldn't have scripted that any better. And so, yeah, here we are again, get up 5 o'clock, four, yeah, 4.45, get out there 5.30, and here we are, here we just start rocking and rolling, just spraying. That's all I did today, just spray. And, oh, got her all done. Got her all done. So, at this point, I, I, there's, I can't. Other than work on new stuff and new projects, there's nothing. Literally nothing. I've got everything sprayed that I needed to spray. Everything's drilled that needed to be drilled. Everything that was drilled that needed to be drilled got a good drink of rain on it. Everything that got a good drink of rain on it that had weeds coming in was sprayed prior to today. And now it's done. I'm a happy camper, folks. Like for those of you that are not, see, this is the thing. So this is where my wife and I get crosswise because my wife legitimately, to, I, I don't know how to put this in a way that you'll truly physically, I mean, like like emotionally understand where I'm coming. She when you talk about people that multitask, there are people that multitask very well. And then there are people that multitask on a high level. And then there are people like my wife who multitask on a high level but must be multitasking. Like they've got to have at least like five things going at the same time. If they don't, like let's let's say they've got three projects going and they're like cranking on those projects and then there's like two that they're just getting going. Like if one of those three, like the like one of the three mature projects like winks out is done, it's not like they take a breath of like a sigh of relief. They're like, oh, okay, now I only have these two and these other two that I've got. No, 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 uh-uh, no. One goes away, the next one just moves into the slot. They're always going to have three, four, five things going at the same time. And, Kelly, at a high freaking level. Like, just like a high functioning level. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not me. That is not me. Never has been. I am like task one, one at a time. I may dabble in like, I've got one project and then there's like two like one, maybe stretch it, two, 
kind of things that I'm like thinking about, but no, I've got this, I've got this task. And that's how I, I've always been. One task. There it is. That's my focus. Get her done. Got it. Done? Yes. Next task. Now, again, there might be one or two things in the kitty that are just getting, you know, that I'm prepping, that I'm, you know, I'm getting close to wrapping this project up and I need to move to this next one. So there's a couple preparatory things that I need to get. So, okay, there's like a light level multitask. The high level multi, multi, multitasking? No, that is not me. So, I, it's all done. Like I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm where I should have been a month ago. So, a, I'm happy that I'm, I'm caught up. B, I'm happy that I'm, I'm done with this particular chapter of, of my focus of my attention. And I'm happy that I had such a great, such a great day. Such a great day to, to wrap it up. Now, by by no means, don't think for a second that I didn't have equipment issues. Because remember I said I just bought that, you know, $900, whatever it is, that, that, that brand new spray rig? Oh yeah, smack dab in the middle. I get one project done, I'm get I or one property done. I get ready to roll to the next one. The entire pump, the spray, the, the the pump on the spray rig, just pump just falls apart. You heard that right. The the pump fell apart. So like whoever at the the like I I don't know where I mean the the ugh, I'm not even gonna mention the name. I'm not even gonna mention that. It doesn't matter. Wherever this particular pump was actually made, assembled, I'm guessing they just half-assed assembled it and they didn't ter- tighten down the, the the bolts that held the pump together because the, the, all the bolts just literally loosened up and fell out and the pump just blur, fell out. So here we are, all the way back to the house, get back to get the tools out, figure out, put the thing back together, cramp everything down, Test everything. Make sure everything's great. It's just what it is. That's just what it is. So this is why. This is why I'm. I am such in such a different place. Part of the reason. Part of the reason why I'm such a different place than I was last week because it's nice to be done with what should have been done a while ago. So, what does that mean for now? That means that I can roll into what I normally roll into in June of every year, and that's the elk stuff. And the other flip side, so I've so a bunch of elk questions have been coming in. I've, you've seen that I've been posting on Instagram some of the elk stuff, so I've been sharing. And please, by all means, keep keep sending me that stuff. You, you guys are sharing some awesome stuff with me. Um, the, the best of the best I'll, I'll repost and share because I, some of these are, are, are incredible clips. So I've, I've shared several videos lately, uh, reels or videos from other people. Uh, all of them so far have been from Colorado. Two of them have been, have been from the Northwest part of Colorado, uh, the rifle, Meeker, that type of area. 
Uh, and then the other one, Jay, on the Ot Six. Anybody that's followed me for a while knows that you know Jay and I are friends. Jay's been down the Ot Six, and he's got a bunch of just incredible footage from his summer game camera monitoring. And we've done several podcasts, some you know, most on him, some on me. And then we've got an entire series in the elk module, the Elk Hunting Institute, called Real Elk Sounds, where we've, whether it's my video footage or whether it's his video footage of elk vocalizations, where we just deep dive in and what we're seeing, what we're hearing, what the scenario was, what was going on, why it's significant, and how we, ca- you know, what, what do we think about as we listen to these things, we practice to these sounds, and, or pr- practice making these sounds and how we use these that well all of that information in the field each year it's called real elk sounds with jay scott and myself on the elk module so i've shared several of those videos and a bunch of you've messaged me and 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 i'll i'll start whittling at um answering those questions for you but in a um Related question, a gentleman, um, well, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. I, I, I started, I started moving off. Part of the reason why I'm excited about talking with elk is because I drew a limited license this year in Colorado. So I've talked about it. Some of you and I've talked to you private. Some of you privately about it. Everybody knows that Colorado is just turning into a, just a, a. It's Colorado is not what it used to be. Period. End of discussion. And a lot of units are going limited draw. The over the counter units are just getting so crowded and so just it just the the experience on the landscape is not what. In some cases, some not all some. Some of you are having the time of your life. Great. Awesome. I keep that going. Keep your mouth shut on where you're hunting and just keep that ball rolling. Okay. Um, but for many people, it's just not what it used to be. So for myself this year, I was faced with one of those situations where I'm like, all right, listen, I can continue to go over the counter in a couple of places that I normally hunt and I could probably perform well. Um, I could put in for, or, or, or I could put in for a limited license on a number of different places. Um, I've hunted a couple of different limited license, limited units in the past. And I had preference points for a bunch of uh, uh, several of them, but there was one unit that I've always been curious about. I've never hunted, um, friends of mine have hunted. And I, I've literally always been curious. I've always wanted to hunt this particular unit. And for the past couple of years, I was like, all right, if I'm going to burn my preference points, I'm going to put in for this particular unit. And no, I'm not telling you what unit it is. So just end that discussion right now. <clears throat> um, so I've always been curious about this particular unit. Well, a couple of years ago, I had enough preference points to draw the tag, but I had a client in Arizona. So I was like, all right, well, nope, I'm not drawing the tag this year. All right, fine. 
The next year, I had a plan, do something else. All right, I'm not drawing that tag. Last year, <laughs> last, last year, I wanted to draw the tag and completely, was it last year? Maybe I'm, I don't know, last year or the year before. One of those two, they all blend together. They all, they all blend together. They all blend together. It was either last year or the year before. I completely missed the Colorado draw. Like, normally, okay, Colorado gives you a couple months to, to apply. I understand that. But <clears throat> I've talked about in the past where if you're going to put it in or, or apply or put in for a limited license, especially in a mountainous unit, man. Sometimes having the most recent information possible regarding moisture cycle, snowpack, snow melt, etc., can play heavy on the decision making process on whether or not you put in for that unit to actually draw the tag that particular year. Or you just say, you know what? Nope, this is this is not the year to do it. I'm just going to put it in for another preference point. Like, for instance, down in Arizona, Unit 9 or whatever. It, you know, if you're in a brutal drought situation, maybe you just hold on to it and you say, no, I'm just going to do a preference point and, you know, I just, I'll just hold, I'll just, I'll just keep, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. For those people that have those points that would guarantee them a draw or have a high probability of success of drawing that tag, watching the weather can give you an indication of whether or not you may want to try to to pull the tag or maybe you want to just sit on it for a year, get another preference point, and then try your luck later on with as the weather improves. So I've always advocated in my philosophy for Colorado, the, the application process <clears throat> for putting in for limited draw units, wait until like the last week or 10 days of the draw application period and just monitor what's going on with your snowpack, snow melt, that type of, that, that type of deal. Is it, is, is there very little snowpack and it's a, a, a early and warm spring and all the moisture is just peeling off the mountain and the long-term forecast looks like drought? Well, maybe, maybe that plays into your decision-making process on whether or not you want to pull the tag. You're going to burn preference points. So do you want to burn preference points in that type of condition? Or you're watching the weather and you're getting snow. You're getting snow. It's good, wet, heavy snow. There's going to be moisture on the mountain. The monsoons, you know, long-term forecast shows that there should be some monsoons coming through. Well, hey, maybe this is the year to pull that tag. All right. So I always wait as my draw strategy to wait towards the end of the application period. The risk is if life gets in the way and then all of a sudden you forget what day it is and then you're like, oh, well, the application period closed yesterday. Shit. <laughs> That's literally what happened. I missed a year. I completely, I just completely missed a year. So this, this year, I had more than enough points to draw the tag. And it was. It was one of those things where I'm like, oh, I don't know what I want to do. 
Should I draw a tag? Should I not draw a tag? Should I go over the counter? Should I just hold? I don't know. Well, I'm getting to the point where I have enough preference points where I'm 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 fast approaching that no man's land. Anybody that plays preference points in Colorado knows that there's a bunch of different units, especially for you that are resident of Colorado. There's a bunch of different units that you can draw from one, two, three, four to you know four preference points. You can draw, right? You start getting into now maybe five, eh, not so much, but you start getting into six, seven, eight, nine preference points. You're in no man's land because realistic. Now you can burn as many points as you want on a lesser unit. That's whatever. But when you get into that eight, nine, seven, eight, nine preference points. There's a lot of good units that you could hunt that don't require that don't need anywhere near that many preference points. So if you want to cash your tag in on some of those units, you're you're throwing some quote unquote, quote unquote, throwing preference points away. Versus you're sitting at nine preference points, ten preference points, and you're looking at some of the premier units. Good luck. You're You've got years, if not more than a decade, of waiting and building points in order to to hopefully draw some of those tags. So, so you're just you're in that no man's land of you either need to burn and waste some points, or you need to hold on to them and just wait for the next ten years until you might have a chance to draw blah 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 one of these quote unquote uber premier units, whatever. Whatever that means. Well, I was I was in that no man's land. I was I was I, I was entering in. I was walking through the door, the doorway of that no man's land, and I'm like, nope. I had a really good hunt in 2009. Unit Unit One, Colorado, burned 12 preference points, killed a 356 bull, had an incredible hunt up there. I don't need to hold out for another, well, at this point, I think that's 15, 17, 20 plus points or whatever. No, no. And by the time I even get in there, it's probably 25 to 30 points that I'll need. No. So I opted to just burn my points on this unit. Um, and again, I, I've hunted a couple of other limited draw units and man, there's one, I, I've, I've hunted one and had a blast. I had an awesome hunt on it. There's a YouTube video of my hunt on one of them. Man, I had a blast. And I would very tempted to go back. However, been there, done that. I've, I've hunted that. And I've spent a lot of time in that unit uh, on the elk study and, and some other subsequent stuff. So I was like, you know what? And the, and the elk population isn't what it used to be over there as well. So I decided like, you know what, this is the year. I don't need to, I, I, I've got way more points than I need to, to draw this tag. So it's a guaranteed draw, but I've always been curious about it. I've got friends that, that know the, know the place that have, that have been successful there. Uh, one of the guys that I became friends with, uh, from the clients in Arizona, he drew him and his buddies drew the tag that we're going to draw the tag this year. Um, we touch base and, you know, so I have a couple friends that 
put in and drew the tag as well as 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 me now it's not that we're all going to get together and have a kumbaya moment and all hunt together no but we all know each other we're all communicating we're all you know we're all going to have our camps we're all going to do our thing but we're all going to powwow we're going to we're going to cross pollinate and and you know commingle a little bit but we all got our own things going <clears throat> so finally now now that my white tail again i'm not a multitasker i'm like task oriented white tails turkeys kansas i gotta get my shit i, I i'm like a month behind I've got to get this stuff going because we've got a bunch of hunters coming in this fall and I want to make sure that they have absolutely the best opportunity moving forward as possible. And we've got some very large-scale conservation con, con, uh, conversion projects going on. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. So my mind has just been buried in that. And I really haven't been able to just really sit back and go, I got an elk hunt, you know, like, like not an over-the-counter hunt. Like I've got an actual legitimate limited entry elk tag that 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 could could be a damn fun hunt. Well, now I can. <laughs> I can. I can. My it it is. It's like it's funny. I don't know what it is about my brain, but June for me. The, the the switch is flipped. Flip the switch. I June for me, June, July, August, and September is supposed to be elk. Period. End of discussion. Elk. Elk focus. Now, now that I've been out in, in Kansas, um, September's commingled. Elk slash whitetails, early season whitetails slash whitetail prep. Okay. But June, July. August, September, elk. So for me, spending so much time, and it's not just this year. Last year was the same way, and the you know the, these past couple of years, my focus on whitetails has has pushed into June and hell, even into July a little bit. And it you know which has forced, unfortunately, the elk module, elk hunting institute, kind of a in a in a subordinate backseat position, just from a time management standpoint. So, to be finally done in talking about elk and letting letting my brain just actually do what it wants to do and just roll into elk is just awesome. And coupled with the fact that I just got off, part of the reason why this is so late tonight, <clears throat> I got off the phone with a buddy of mine that is very knowledgeable with this particular unit. And we just started going down the rabbit hole on you know, what I'm thinking, what I'm looking for, where I was thinking, you know, and then finding out it just dovetails like perfectly with what he's been finding, they've been experiencing, where they've been killing some elk, where they've been able to, to, to you know, their camping situation, where they're hiking in, how far they're hiking in, where, you know, Everything that I had as as a preconceived notion on what I wanted and what I thought I could pull off and what I could do in this area, just flat dovetailed with what they found over this past couple. Of years. So it was just a fun discussion. I mean, I don't remember how I don't even know how much, how long we were on the phone together, but it was longer than I would I was anticipating tonight. 
given the fact that I wanted to sit down and, and record this. But, oh, it just jazzes you. And then it doesn't, trust me, it's not lost on me, the fact that it was a high today of like 77 or whatever it was, and cloudy and cool, and just, oh, man. I'm not a summer fan. I, I really don't. I could go, I, I would like four months of fall. What is that? Yeah, f- give me four months of fall. No, I'll even take, Uh, okay, four, yeah, give me four months of fall, give me four months of spring, I'll take three months of winter for one month of quote-unquote summer. I freaking hate the heat. I really, I am not, uh, listen, in the winter, you can always put more clothes on. You can always layer more. At some point in the summer, you can be walking around naked, sweating your nads off. Okay? So, these, I mean, we have. We've had a couple weeks now where we've been well over, you know, whether it's heat index or just actual temperature, it's been over 100 degrees already. Now, that's typical for this area. These, at least these past recent years, it's been typical for mid to late June to start rolling into the triple digit uh, temperatures, especially into July. So we'll see what July brings. But we've already been in the triple digits. It's just, and, and it's not just us. I know that heat wave rolled across the country and just cooked a bunch of people. But trust me, I, I am not a fan of the heat. I just am not. So having a having a day of 70 70 whatever it was 70 high 70s is just, oh man blissful 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 and the fact that I'm done with my whitetail stuff for now for for the for the moment the heavy lifting like the like the heavy cerebral engagement is done right now I can roll my 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 brain power into what it wants to do, and that is elk. So yeah. So anyway, I say all that to say, questions have been coming in privately and and on you know well privately and emails and and through the the uh, forums and stuff like that. But um, the the next. So there's a, oh man, like I said, I I think I touched on it last. There's a bunch of stuff that I'm going to be rolling into discussing over these next several weeks. So let me, sorry, another real quick segue. So alas, surprisingly, a last minute project has popped up that I've got to make a mad dash to Colorado tomorrow. Well, while you're listening to this, I'm probably going to be driving down the road. Um, I've got to head, I've got to make a whirlwind tour, uh, just a kamikaze trip to Colorado for a project job that we need to do. Part of that needs to be done over a couple, a course of a couple days. 
The other thing that needs to happen is I've got to pick up a bunch of equipment uh, that I've got stored with a friend of ours who's moving, blah, blah, blah. So that needed to happen by the end of next week. Well, hell, if I've got to go out there tomorrow or on Monday to do this project, and then I need to go pick up equipment at the end of the week and get it back here, I, I'm just going to stay for a couple days in the middle of the week I'm going to go fart around in my unit. I'm going to go at least drive some roads, figure out access areas, figure out what the, what you know, just connectivity, juxtaposition, distances, just, just get the initial lay of the land and the logistics taken care of uh, for what I can do with my vehicle, where I might be able to, you know, do I need, can I bring my fifth, or not, it's not a fifth wheel. Can I bring my camper, my bumper pull camper? Can I bring my camper or am I better off just, you know, tent camping? I, should I just, you know, get with Davis tent and just pick up their little, I mean, they've got a, I, I need, that's one of the conversations that's going to come up. I need to talk to them about their little, um, yeah, they've got, they've got some cool stuff. Their little go tent or whatever they call it. Um, I don't know. I need to figure out kind of just general basic logistics for fall this year. Because again, like we talked about, Fuel prices, they're not coming down. And so if I'm going to haul a big honking camper from Kansas to Colorado up in the mountains, is it worth it? Because I'm going to be sucking, you know, I'm going to be sitting at about a 9 to 10 miles per gallon, you know, 9 to 10 miles per gallon uh, fuel efficiency. Because of my luck, you know darn well, anybody that goes from the east and goes west, the day you want to leave and you want to drive to, say, Colorado or Wyoming or New Mexico, you're going to have a windstorm. It's going to be like 20, 30 mile an hour winds out of the west. You're just going to be fighting a headwind the entire way. And you're going to be looking at your fuel economy and it's going to be like single digits and you're just going to cry. It just You're just going to cry, especially this year. Can you ever get a tailwind? Hell no. Because when you go home, when you get ready to go home and you're ready to get, go back east, then there's some freak, freak storm that comes out and you got a headwind coming back. You just That's just what it is. So if I'm going to be looking at mobilizing for camp this year, and I've got to figure out when I want to go to camp, but I'm going to mobilize to go to elk camp this year. Is it a camper trip? Or is it uh, I sleep in the back of the truck or I just pitch a little tiny tent and, and or I backpack in and that's what it is. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to take these next couple days to go fart around in the high country of Colorado in a new unit. That's freaking exciting. I love it. Because part of me for elk season, um, and people have asked. People have wanted to know why, you know, Chris, why don't you have more videos on YouTube and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Filming yourself on public land, over-the-counter units in Colorado is not as easy. You know, you you see, you know, all the the videos out there. It makes it a hell of a lot easier when you got a cameraman running around with you, or you got multiple people out there on the landscape going around with you to provide content. But it's, when it's just you and a backpack and a camera and a bow, it gets tricky. Um. But the other flip side is when I, 
I, I, and I've talked about, I talked about this a while ago. I really do get myself in these situations where I want to crack a problem or I want to conquer an obstacle. So, and I mean, what I mean by that is I'll hunt, I'll start, I'll hunt a certain area and then I'll see the potential that that area has for, let's say, mature bulls. And in some areas, no, no, I can't even say some areas. It's like every area. If I, if I get in, if I start hunting an area and I encounter mature bulls in that area, I will become obsessed with hunting that area until I can pull out a representative like cream of the crop animal off that landscape whether it's an older age class animal or score you know antler most of the time it's an older age class animal can I I, I, I'm in this particular area. I know there are mature bulls in this area. Can I figure this area out? Can I, can I crack the code on this area and these elk and pull out one of the upper tier mature animals off this landscape? That becomes my problem, my obsession. And so I will go to the same areas year after year after year after year after year and struggle and fail from a standpoint of success on what you might see on social media. But for me, it's no, I'm not out there to shoot a little four by four. I'm not out there to shoot a little five by five or a two and a half year old bull or, you know, a three and a half year old bull at the end of the season. If my freezers are empty, they might be in trouble. They might take a ride in the truck at when, you know, the last few days of my hunt. But if they're four and a half, five and a half years old, okay, they're, I understand the realities of over-the-counter units, public land hunting in Colorado. If I've got a five-year-old bull standing in front of me, that's an old bull on some of these areas. So anything four or older, fair game. But if I can come in and I can try to, to pull out one of those older age class, that that's, that's, that's what I'm looking for. And so I just get pigeonholed into focusing. Can I crack that code for this particular area to the detriment of some of my year in year out overall, just general success. Well, previous years, I know some of my, my long standing over the counter areas, I have performed well year in and year out. Even if I don't come away with an animal, I have had opportunities in animals, uh, mature age class animals. Um, and I've checked all the boxes that I need for my personal hunt. And even last year where I decided to check a whole bunch of just old, like areas that I hadn't hunted year in years, I decided to just go just, just venture forth on the landscape and just see if I can't find some new areas, just find it in hell. 
to the credit of, uh, of a couple row hunting resources subscribers that I bumped into out there. Met up with those guys, went hunting with those guys for a couple days and, and just learned a new area and, and bingo, got it. Just here we are, multiple mature bulls and man, I had my, and that's, these are some of the videos that are going to be coming this, this summer on the elk module, elk hunting Institute. I called in the small, I called in the satellite bulls numerous times, but I had one crack, one crack at the 350, 360 bull that was probably about a seven, eight year old bull. Messing with the camera, he caught me and turned and left before I could get an arrow in him. And so now that sits in the back of my mind. I'm like, hmm. I have unfinished business. I have unfinished business over there. However, I have a long-standing curiosity about this unit that, that I drew this year. And I, I have seen my friends, pictures, and sat and chatted with them and stories and everything else. And I know... In fact, there are some really good mature bulls in this particular unit. And so now, <laughs> I get to go play in a completely new landscape, learn a completely different area, play with some potentially big-ass bulls. Yeah. I'm in a good place right now. I'm, yeah. Yeah. So, all that being said, now now let's let's get to the question that came in that that I wanted to chat just or I want to touch on because I want to touch on it because I've already discussed. All right, well, just, okay. So I've posted on Instagram three as of right now three different video clips, reels, or video clips. By other people. I've shared them. They, they were other people's video clips that I have shared on my page. And there's cow-calf vocalizations going on. Okay? They're recorded in the summer. And they're shared in the summer. So the, the, you've got cows with calves. In those clips, you hear of just an incredible amount of cow vocalizations going on. Unless you've gone through um, my website and gone through the foundation principles, got clicked on the cow vocalizations, and gone through an understanding to, to understand what you are hearing, and then realistically to the point of the question, especially, and then go from there and then go to the next section, the, the next library section, the, the, uh, the recognition section where you can go to the gallery and just watch and listen to just all sorts of uh, vocalizations and interactions. And then, like I said before about Jay Scott, Jay Scott Outdoors, he and I did the real elk sounds, go in and dive into that section as well You're going to hear a bunch of different vocalizations in there. However, 
the predominant vocalization oftentimes is going to be that lost mew and different whether it's a, a lost mew from an adult cow or oftentimes a lost mew from a calf and I talk quite about talk quite a bit about that in the elk module especially when we're talking about the targeted strategy what I use 99% of the time to call in 99% of all the bulls that in elk that I call in so the question came in about lost mews versus contact mews and this this is a new subscriber I'm guessing they're just going through the um, material for the first time having trouble discerning just a regular contact mew with a lost mew all right this comes up often because you'll hear people talk about chirps mews contact mews lost mews estrus mews all right there's all sorts of these mews and and everybody has their different interpretation of what or or their different let's be honest See, you, you can you can go to youtube and look up a lost mew or a contact mew or a mew or whatever and probably bring up a half a dozen different videos from a half a dozen different people that are all talk that they will demonstrate a uh, vocalization they all sound similar and each one of them calls it a different thing what the frickin' what how 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 what how what 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 no this is why I put elk in front of you, okay? And so if we go from a chirp to a contact mew to a lost mew, we're talking about a progression of the length of the vocalization and or where the emphasis is 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 placed on the vocalization as it's delivered by the animal. And I've talked about it in the past where, and this is why I, I wanted to post these or share these video clips and these reels on Instagram. What you hear in those those clips in many ways is largely lost muse. Now there's some frustrated whines in there. There's some contact muse in there as well. There, I think there might've even been an assembly mew in there as well. Um, but the very, the vast majority of them are lost muse. So, it comes down to what's the difference between a contact mew and a lost mew. Well, it comes down to duration, the length of the call, the emphasis on that. And then realistically, you've got to also take in the context of what is actually going on within the body of the herd and who is making the vocalization and what are they expecting. So this is not the first time that the question has come in. So two things. Number one, if you have gone through, if you're watching those Instagram videos and you're like, okay, I that sounds awesome, but why do why do I care? I can I can mimic those sounds all day long, but I don't know what the hell I'm saying, or I don't know if it matters, or I don't know what I'm doing. But okay, go over to the elk module, the Rolling Resources website, and subscribe to the elk module and dive into the elk vocalizations, and we'll talk about it. 
But if you've gone through those, you've gone through the original series of the vocalizations, do not forget, and this is for the for the people that have asked this question, do not forget that there's the, the other section in there that is the next level discussions where we dive deeper into some of the uh, concepts and the discussions that are that are in this in this series before. So one of the discussions that came up last year was again, it was related to the contact mu versus the loss mu. And if the vast majority of the vocalizations we hear on the landscape in the fall, whether it's the summer, fall, or winter, doesn't matter. The vast majority of the cow vocalizations we hear on the landscape each year are lost mews. Does the contact mew even matter? Do we even need to worry about the contact mew? Well, I have an entire video that that's literally the con that that's that is the entire focus of that discussion. If you go to foundation principles for those that are subscribers and you're looking at you you scroll through on your phone or on your computer or whatever, if you want to know where this is, this discussion is, go to the foundation principles, click on that, go to the cow vocalizations, click on that. And then if you look down in the bottom, you'll, you'll see that there's next level discussions. Okay, click on that one. And there's the video in there. Is the contact mu worthless? And I make the argument. Now, the, the person that posed the original question made a good point that we're talking about here on if, if the vast majority of the vocalizations we hear on the landscape from cows is, is generally lost mews, then why do we give a rip about the contact mute. Well, I separate that out. I'm like, okay, well, if we if we if we discard the contact mute, we we kind of have to figure out what we want to do with, with the, the chirp. Okay, chirp extremely short, short duration, oftentimes very quiet, but just extremely short duration. Contact mute a little bit longer, even high to low progression. And then we move into the loss mute, which can be either holding the, law, the the high note or it can emphasize the high note of that vocalization. If we're going to just ditch the contact mute, then we really have to you know, consider ditching the, the chirp as well, but which ends up saying really then we're, we're ditching what I call that passive calling strategy where you're just sounding like a you know a cow and a calf or a couple of cows with a couple of calves just content in an area. You know, they're content in a bedding area. They're content in a, a little feeding area. They're content, uh, you know, whatever. It kind of negates the ability for us to put a passive calling strategy in play. I think there's merit to the relevancy of a contact mew, but you're right. For those that are asking about the lost mew, no, the lost mew oftentimes is the dominant vocalization on the landscape. And again, you separate the lost mew from a contact mew based on the length of that vocalization. Is the emphasis, is it an even progression high to low? Or does it hold that high note? Or does it emphasize that high note? And it changes. And so 
not diving into the details here because it's it's way too long to discuss here. But I think it's time to pull out the whiteboard and pull up all of the cow vocalizations I talk about. Chirp, mew, lost mew, assembly mew, frustrated whine, aggravated whine. All right, at least those, at least those six. Self, what I call the selfish mew, which some people call the asterisk mew, so there's seven, all right? Those vocalizations and put them up on the whiteboard and, and literally draw them out to see how, so you can see how the progression goes, how, how the elk make those vocalizations, where they emphasize you know, highs versus lows. And then let's actually have an honest conversation about, because everybody wants, this, this comes up all the time, asking about emotion. You can go back and listen to some of my podcasts. You can go back and, and there's a bunch of different uh, videos on the website that I talk about emotion. Okay, emotion for what? Just saying you want to add emotion does not, it doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. So, but with that being said, oftentimes when people are talking about adding emotion, quote unquote, they are changing the structural characteristics of the calls that they're making. And they end up inadvertently bleeding over into these other vocalizations that 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 I talk about. So, wh- wh- I think I think the only way to et- so for those of you that have been that have been watching those Instagram posts, those reels, those videos, and you're asking about the sounds that you're hearing in those clips, yes, the vast majority are probably classified most likely in my opinion most like or my opinion classified as lost muse that does not mean that contact muse are irrelevant and more importantly it does not mean that you can be sloppy in how you make your vocalizations and just well as long as I sound like this Okay, you can practice to those Instagram reels. You can practice to those videos. Again, I have an entire section on the gallery for you to practice with cows making the vocalizations. But at least with that, I provide a context. Just because you drag out a vocalization, just because you emphasize a portion of a a high or versus You can call it adding emotion if you want. That's fine. But if you watch elk and you listen to elk, how they communicate with one another 365 days a year, they can make those changes, those structural changes, hold the long, hold the high note, emphasize the high note, or the low note. Or they can just make a nice even transition high to low, very short or extended or wavy or whatever. They can do all of those different styles of vocalizations. 
But if you listen to them and watch them, you're going to see that they can impart within those vocalizations their own emotion. Emotion itself does not change the nature of the call. Emotion, if you want to, if you want to use that term, added into these vocalizations only embellishes what those vocalizations are trying to relay. And I talk about that in, in the cow vocalization section. I talk about that in that next level discussion, whether the cow, the, or the, excuse me, whether the contact mu is worthless or not. But I think it's, I, I've been toying around with the idea of doing this discussion for the past couple of years. I think it's time. I think I need to pull out the whiteboard and just go through it and say, okay, this is a chirp. This is a mew. This is a lost mew. This is a frustrated whine. This is a selfish whine, whatever, or selfish, whatever. Here's the shapes. Here's the, here's how they're formulated. Here's where they're emphasized. Look how similar they are. Yes. Now deal with the assembly meal. That's 180 degrees opposite. How do you throw that in the mix? Number one. Number two, We'll go down through and, and whether we use these these Instagram clips, these reels, or whether we just dive back into what Jay and I talked about on some of his video video or video footage in the Real Elk Sounds. We go back to okay, or and hell, even the gallery the gallery videos that I have. Okay, let's go through and look at exactly what these elk were. You know, let's listen to the vocalization. But let's watch the body language. Let's listen to the volume. Let's listen to where they put the embellishment and figure out, are they adding emotion to change the nature of the, of, of the meaning of the call? Or is the vocalization? does the vocalization have a meaning upon which they add emotion? That's where I, that's where I lean. That's, that's my interpretation of it. The structure of the vocalizations, lost mew versus contact mew versus chirp versus frustrated or aggravated whine, the structure of those vocalizations are different. Yes, they might all be related, but they're different enough that they carry a different level of information. We can talk about the continuum of desperation or urgency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. That's fine. But we can also show where you can play with that same vocal expression, vocal characteristic, the law, let's just say the lost mute. And we can either deliver it in a somewhat neutral fashion or we can deliver it with the maximum amount of quote unquote emotion that we can with, with a, with a mouth diaphragm or an open read style call or whatever. So yeah, that, that I think is going to have to be one of the first videos that's coming. Um, the new videos as we, as we, again, this week I'm in Colorado farting around on the landscape working but then I'm back and it's going to be rocking and rolling on some of this so 
for those that have been asking about contact muses versus lost muse and, and trying to differentiate, uh, suss out the difference. Again, listen to the duration of the call. Listen to where the emphasis of the call lies. But then for those that want to deep dive further, A, don't overlook the next level discussions that we have in the, the website already. B, yeah, I'm going to pull the whiteboard, whiteboard out and we're going to dive into this sucker. Uh, likewise, for those that have been asking about the seminar I did at ISE and the seminar I did in um, Lawrence, Kansas, Kansas City area, uh, is that going to be posted? Yes. Uh, like I said before, I want to spend, I want to do a little bit, I want to sit and talk with you here on camera, here in the studio. Uh, I've got some more notes that, I, that I'm that i taking. I want to kind of polish it a little bit better. Uh, and both of the, uh, well, the ISC show, the audio is horrible. It's, it makes sense because the way the, the, the venue is. And then I knew that the audio wasn't going to be great. I, I didn't I didn't even record the one in, in Lawrence because I, I just want to spend, I want to do a separate recording on that. So we will dive into that. Um, the, the kind of the top mistakes that I see people doing in the field in the fall each year that basically shoot themselves in the foot. They just negate all of their off season prep, all the fitness that you're doing, all the shooting that you're doing, all the scouting that you're doing, all the, all the stuff that you're doing that you should be doing that you, that you are rightfully and righteously doing. And I applaud you for can literally be undone by overlooking a, a handful of things. So, um, yes, for those that were not able to make those presentations, yes, that discussion is also um, going to be coming. And then there's a bunch of other videos that are going to come in there as well. But um, what else for this week? Um, yeah, so, I mean, realistically, that that's that's where it's at. I'm I'm looking forward to just it'd be fun to get back up in the high country, Colorado, for a couple of days and just if nothing else, breathe some clean air, stretch my legs, <laughs> stretch my lungs back out and make a yeah, shock my lungs back into function to where they're like, holy hell, we need to get serious. Yeah, because that's the other thing too that I need to start. I was really good beginning of the year on my fitness regimen. And then March took a, I I fell off the I just I bounced off into the ditch off of that. I ugh. I got to get my butt back on the bike. I got to get my butt back into some backpack cardio stuff and get that going. So it's going to be nice to just be up in the high country and just see exactly how pathetic I am and how miserable it is going to walk in some of these places, but um yeah, we're going to start rocking and rolling on some elk stuff. For those people that are more interested in some of the deer stuff that I'm doing, I'll still share some of that stuff. I'm going to be doing, like I said, I've got odds and ends that are going to be taking up some time um, these next couple months, but that's what they are. They're just going to be odds and ends, <coughs> keeping things ready to go for this fall. But in the meantime, start shooting my bow, start picking apart my preseason scouting from the computer 
I'm getting excited about elk. Yeah, doing some videos. So, yeah. So, I don't need to belabor it any longer than that. I'll kill it for now. Other than other than to say this, okay. Other than to say this, and I'll, I'll wrap it up here. I, I'm a little disappointed. I'm not gonna lie. I'm a little disappointed that I didn't have anybody checking in on me these past couple days. Now, what do I mean? What I mean? What I mean is this. Okay, so when we were living in Colorado, I lived in the town of Berthet. Now, for those of you that live in Colorado or are from Colorado or know that know Colorado, Berthet, the town of Berthet, lies on the front range of Colorado between Longmont and Loveland. Okay, love I love the town, love the town, love the area, love it. Well, when Berthet Pass would have an avalanche, I would get. F- phone calls from my family members because it would hit the national news that there was a massive avalanche in, in Ber- on Berthet Pass. I would get phone calls from my family wanting to know if we were all right. Now, again, anybody that's familiar with Colorado knows that Berthet Pass is nowhere near the town of Berthet. Berthet Pass is way the hell up in the mountains, like interior mountains. We were out in the front range, like no, like if an avalanche, I can't even imagine, like from a a functioning stand, there's no, there's literally no way an avalanche, even off of Long's Peak, could ever impact the town of Berthet. But that did not, that did not stop family, friends, fans, followers from reaching out and wanting to know if we were okay. Sometimes it seemed ridiculous, but we always were, we we always, you know, this like that, that warm fuzzy. You're like, oh, you, you're thinking about us. You're, you, you're concerned about, oh, I appreciate the concern. No, 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 we're good. By the way, here's here's why. Here's the juxtaposition, blah, blah, blah. And people are like, oh, okay, didn't know. Yeah, yeah. But you still had that concern. These past several days, I've seen nothing but plastered everywhere. On social media, people losing their ever-loving minds that, quote-unquote, Roe is dead. Roe is dead. Supreme Court killed Roe. Rose dead, Rose done, Rose over, Rose overturned, Rose at, Rose dead, Rose everywhere. I'm still here, people. I'm still here. We're okay. We're all right. But no one, but no one, no one saw Rose dead and then thought, hey, I wonder how Chris is doing. See, I just, it's just one of those things. I just feel, I just feel, I just feel like you just, you know, some of you just don't even care. That it. Anyway. All right. <laughs> it's late. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to kill it because I've got to get up Krakow. I've got to pack up and I got to get on the road and I got to do my little whirlwind tour of Colorado. And once I'm done with my whirlwind tour of Colorado, I will come back and report my findings 
and let you know whether I'm still excited or whether I'm just whether whether I've just bitten off more than I could chew and I'm like oh shit I don't have near enough time to get my butt in shape because I've started looking at some of the maps and looking at some of the contour intervals and I'm I'm like so you guys climbed where they're like yeah 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 start here and go to there get to that saddle and go and I'm like you do realize I'm looking at the contour intervals and they just like a like a solid brown he's like yeah yeah the climb sucks I'm like oh great Anyway, I digress. All right, time to kill it. Thanks for uh, chiming in or tuning in this week. Um, yeah, it's time to get rocking and rolling. It's time to start focusing on it, focusing in on elk. So, with that being said, for those that are not, no, flip it around. For those that are current subscribers to the elk module, Rowing Resources, the Elk Hunting Institute. If you have questions, by all means, jump on the forums. Okay, so we have the elk forum in there. There's, you know, the forum is more targeted. So it's it's members asking questions of members. I am on there monitoring it as well, but you will get some really good information from some of the veterans that have been in there. So if you have a question, fire away on the forum because you might have some really good information hit you before I even get on there to see it, number one. Number two, if you do have questions um, and you put it on the forum, don't hesitate to also send me an email or you can direct message me through Instagram if you want as well of that question so that I can make sure I see it. But just reference, let me know. Are you a member or are you not a member? Only because sometimes when a member asks me a question, I will answer that question. But what I will do is put it on the forum. That way everybody gets the benefit of the information shared within that question and answer section, right? Make sense? Some of those, if, you, if you've watched, if you've gone through that section or the, the website, you know that we get into the Q&A stuff. All right. Some of those questions are pretty darn good to where I'll actually do a flat out video of it. All right. So I'll just post that video on there. So that's why I want, are you a member or are you not a member? If you're not a member, I'm going to smack you upside the head, tell you to go subscribe, but then I'm going to answer, I'll probably answer your question anyway, but go subscribe. All right. Cause that's how all this happens. So fire away over these next several weeks. I want you to fire away on your questions. I, whether you have a question that I've already covered on the website, you just didn't stumble on or whether you've, especially for those of you that have already deep dived on a lot of the videos that are in there, that you want to take it that next level discussion, send me those questions. I want to know what you guys are thinking, what you guys are perceived guys and gals are perceiving what you're not perceiving and, and possibly where where are there gaps in my uh, explanations that are leaving you a little confused, all right? Fire away. This is the time to do it, all right? These next couple of months, we're all in this to get... I'm, my mind, the light switch has been flicked. Blink. I'm on elk mode now. I am, I'm, I am, I am rapidly... I've I've sailor dived off the platform off the off the flight deck of the aircraft carrier and I am falling rapidly into the ocean of elk so fire away fire away and then yes we for the podcast I've I've got several people that 
yeah, where I will get to some of those discussions um, and I'll share those discussions with you as they come. So until next week, stay safe. Thanks for chiming in and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, bye.